You need a name. You get that. I can run it down for y'all. I'll get a name. Camera still there? Steal that motherfucker. Who you calling? Police. The police? Man, owe me a favor. Motherfucker, do we come behind your casework talking this kind of shit? Do we? Come on. No. Fuck you, Bone. Fuck you. Fuck you. See you sad ass motherfuckers in about three days. You're leaving class, not school. Man, fuck y'all. I know the rules. You gotta suspend me. School gotta have rules. Okay, man, before we dive into episode seven, Unto Others, and get to all the good stuff, the character deep dive, the recaps, everything else, let's hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. What if I told you you could get a big snack almost anywhere for less than five bucks? Let's talk 7-Eleven's $3 big meal deal with seven rewards. Big meal deal is a big bite hot dog and a large big gulp drink, and you won't find a better snack deal Anywhere else, here's what I put on my hot dog. Mustard. And that's it. That's it. I love a hot dog with mustard. Maybe if the chili, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a little chili, maybe a little nacho cheese, but I'm a hot dog and mustard guy. But if that sounds like your kind of bite, visit 7-Eleven, valid through 1725. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, applicable on large big gulp only. Participating U.S. stores only. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. You know what I realized after watching this episode, episode seven, Unto Others, Van, is that as good as the writing and the acting is on this show, what what kind of drives you crazy a little bit are all the what ifs. Like I was mm. just, I went down a rabbit hole of what ifs and thinking about it, like especially with the case of Randy. Like it's so many what ifs that could have really spared him the situation that he kind of finds himself in now. And I guess because he's now been brought into the universe of Herc and Carver, and, you know, we both know kind of what comes with that. I'm just like, man, and maybe that's why, to some degree on the last episode, I was just thinking like, why didn't Prez call Lester instead of Daniels? Mm. You know, but there's a lot of what ifs, you know, and there's a big what if in terms of who's mayor of Baltimore. Right. Because given how that case that was initially handed to Kima, then then they got her off of considering how that actually wind up turning out, as we see uh, in this particular episode. What if they actually had, you know, been allowed to solve the case in real time? It would it would have looked completely different and not even had a shred of the impact that it ended up having. Yeah. And so it's just. You know, there's a, there's a ton of these situations that happen in the wire, and it's even Bubs, for example. Uh, uh, real quick before um, I get some of your takeaways, what if Bubs doesn't help Sherrod? The reason why the whole reason why Bubs is getting terrorized right now by this super crackhead—that one I thought about. It. Yeah, yes, yeah. is because he tried to do a good deed. You right. know, and and sometimes that's that's the hard and the pessimistic part about watching The Wire is that good deeds 
definitely do not go unpunished in this. He's trying to do a good thing, trying to help Sherrod. And how does Sherrod pay him back? I'll be in a general fuck up. And I get like, it's a lot of things that are going on in his life. But, you know, Bub's decision to do that has dire consequences Mm -hmm. just by making, trying to be a good Samaritan and intervene. But anyway, that was my big takeaway is like, ooh, for as much as, as good as this series is, the what ifs, when you think about them too long, they just, they will drive you crazy. What were they some of the takeaways? You. Yeah, they kill I, you. I mean, this one is kind of about, uh, about the spoils, right? It's kind of about what happens after people win or after people lose, you know? And there's, that happens throughout, you know? Now you see Carcetti getting his organization together. You see him figuring out how he's going to deal with everyone that supported him and how he's going to delegate to everybody who did not support him. You see kind of Marlowe in the aftermath of him having beat the cops in the last episode. There's a lot of things. Now, the University of Maryland has, they've gotten their program. They got what they wanted. They won. They got it, right? So it's like, it's the spoils, but it's also, I have written down, be careful what you wish for. Because now you've gotten all these kids together. Now you're the mayor. Now you, you, you have all of these things. And now what are you going to do with them? You know what I mean? Cuddy finally found Spider in the last episode. And he learned some things, something he had wanted for a long time. He learned some things that were very difficult sort of for him to hear, you know? Randy thought he had a great deal going with to figure out his situation with the school and the cops. And he's about to find out that he has just drifted in something that he's going to completely get drowned in. So it's kind of a be careful what you wish for type of situation. The kind of what's next question that you were posing is that, you know, once, as you said, like once you get these, this thing you've been working for or, or achieve, then you know, ultimately a lot of people realize that there's a lot that comes with that. I mean, Cuddy came in with the simple thought of he wanted to be a mentor. He wanted to hopefully in his mind help kids wind up in a much better situation than he found himself in. And he's now realizing the responsibility that comes with that, that you can't just pilot in and out of kids' life. Like they're expecting you to be um, an example for them in all things and mm-hmm. not just the things you want to be an example in. Sure. And I think to some degree, this is also what, what Carcetti is finding out is that, it, it, you know, it, it's all good when you're running for the thing that you want. And then when you actually get it, it forces you to actually deal with some of the things that sometimes, you know, from an armchair quarterback standpoint, it's so much easier to pontif- pontificate and say, well, if it was me, I would do X. And then when it is you, you find out like, okay, the shit is not as cut and dried as I thought it was. Right. So yeah, uh, all of those takeaways are are perfectly suited for uh, unto others. Uh, now here's a recap. So Omar is doing his best to survive in jail. Stab somebody out the gate. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Getting right with it. Didn't just stab him. Like stabbed him. Stabbed him. Stabbed him. Right. You know, knowing that his survival is definitely not promised. He. Calls in his get out of jail free card. And if you all remember that get out of jail free card, he earned what in season three, I think it was. Yes. Yes. In season three, where he tested. Oh, was it two? Season two. Season two. When he testified against Bird. And when he testified against Bird, he reaches out to Bunk, who begins looking into the murder case that Marlowe has manufactured against him. And that's not exactly welcomed by the detectives who are actually signed, assigned to the case and feel like that they have the right person in jail being Omar. Marlowe continues to toy with Hurt. Based off some advice he got from Prop Joe, Marlowe decides to steal the camera Hurt used for his surveillance of Marlowe, which of course cost the department 4200 bucks. He's desperate to get this camera back. And that desperation proves to be very costly for a lot of people. 
And by the way, what is it with Herc, Carver, and electronics that just don't go together? Right? Can't have it. Can't have it. Between that and the funny, fuzzy Dunlop situation, don't give them any expensive toys. No, not at all. Uh, just like you should never eat on the wire, as in, I guess now we have to clarify because of landsman. Like, if you make... If, right before you ask for some food, okay? Because, like, right. Landsman already, he always has food. So, like, that's yeah. no big deal. But right. if you go try to get some pit beef, some leg trout, Mm-mm. I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know how you might wind up. Naaman is proving he's not exactly Steve Jobs when it comes to running a corner. He gets beat up by Sherrod. Kennard is giving him some lip. Uh, he can't even adequately work the corner because he's stuck in school and he's actively trying to get himself suspended. And because of this new class that he's in, that Bunny and the University of Maryland are now overseeing, that he's going to find that that task is basically pointless because they need him actually acting a fool so that they can study him. Kima solves her first case and it turns out that this was not a dead witness they were dealing with, but somebody who just caught a straight bullet because some pinhead decided that they want to shoot at 40 bottles. Story of Baltimore. But she actually solves the case because she possesses soft eyes, a concept we were introduced to when she first got on the job and they were hazing her a little bit. A fresh look, a fresh perspective. And wouldn't you know, she solved all that shit in a matter of minutes. But now, as we do every episode, we'll get into our character deep dive. We're going to take a look at a character that we have, you know, done an expansive treatment of before. But then he had a different job, different role. He was a different person altogether, I think I would venture to say. We're going to talk about Mr. Prezbelewski, Prez, who has now gone from a cop with a checkered pass to a homeroom teacher at Edward Tillman Middle School. So, uh, Van, what do you think about this version of Prezbelewski? I think this version of Prezbelewski is someone who already learned how to care. You know, he learned how to care through Lester. Lester taught Prezbelewski how to care about something and pour himself into something. Major Crimes was important for Prezbelewski because when he came into there, he was a cop. Uh, rudderless is a term that we've used before to describe other characters in the wire. But he also didn't really have anything that he gave a shit about in terms of doing his job. Lester showed him how to care about something. You even see when he's integral in getting major crimes put back together, how important it is for him to do meaningful police work. Like He wants to care about something. He wants to care. But still, though, was lacking in terms of the human part of him, you know? He's still, and he was finding it, right? He found it. He was getting better. He was getting more uh, sort of involved and aware, uh, but still wasn't quite cut out to be in those snap snap decision situations as a police officer. There's a glitch there. There's something missing. There's an impulse control disorder that that he has. Uh, There's an inability to control himself. He sometimes panics in those situations. We've seen that before. makes bad decisions. After after having confronted that, what he really needed was a sense of purpose that allowed him to both be in the moment and also have a strategy and perfect job as a teacher. So you see him in there, try to prepare as much as he can. That's what you saw him doing with his classroom, you know, shaving the gum off the bottom of the things, really, really dotting all the the I's and crossing all the T's, going through things with a fine-tooth comb. He wants things to be perfect. What you see now is a guy realizing things aren't going to be perfect, that what you have to do is sort of react to and exist inside 
of the structures that are already there and available for you, right? You're a teacher. They don't want to be there. How can you get the most out of them while they are there? And that's kind of like a more like central life question that a lot of people have to go through. Like I'm here, things are suboptimal. How do I get the most out of my existence while I'm here and also make a difference in somebody else's life? So when you see Prez, he's going through and it's through his job that he finds out what everybody needs, right? It's through trying to be a good teacher that he finds out what's going on with Duke, right? With Duquan. It's through being a good teacher, being present, being present in the moment, something that he had problems doing before, right? Like not panicking, but being present and grounded in the moment that he finds out what's going on with Naaman, that he that he's able to talk to Michael in a way that Michael can understand. That's a very important scene. You know, when he starts communicating back and forth with Michael, that's him giving a little bit and Michael giving a little bit too. Hey, this is what we play. This is how we can learn. This is how we can teach us. And rather than stay rigid and rather than stay sourced, he goes, okay, well, if this is the way they're saying that they, that they act and the way they respond. This is who I should be. Prez has become pliable. You know, he's become something that some of those other cops aren't. And that's something that you have to be when you're dealing with as many different scenarios as an eighth grader at Tillman Middle School would have to deal with. An eighth grade teacher, should I say. The thing about Prez is that he's still using what's his best trait, even though he's in a totally different job. Prez's best ability is that he's a natural problem solver. Right. And that it's important to him to understand why there's a problem, how did it get to be a problem, and what he could do about it. And, you know, he's a, that's why it's it's not surprising that he's so good at puzzles because he likes piecing things together. He likes mm. building things. So it's important to him that he build the foundation for this class that can allow him to teach all the students, that can allow him to reach them. And so he's not making the mistake of trying to get them to digest some material that they're not that interested in. He's totally willing to meet them where they are. And I think if he doesn't go through the experiences that he did when he was a part of major crimes, he's not this good of a teacher. Because if you think about when he first walked through the major crimes unit, when he nearly shot somebody because he discharged his weapon accidentally um, while in the office, the type of cop that he was then, he didn't have the some of the other instincts that it takes to be a police officer. And I think mm-hmm. he thought that because he didn't, that he was therefore useless. And once right. he found out what his purpose was and saw that he could be a real benefit and a real asset, I think it gave him the confidence to kind of double down on those things that may not be traditional characteristics one would need to be a police officer, but it gave him the confidence to see that it could still contribute nonetheless. And so he brings all this to this middle school. And I think that's where he learned to be pliable or understood uh, that there's more than one way to attack a problem. And because I think in education, much like with, you know, the police, you're dealing with an institution that is sometimes more about the institution than about the service they're providing. So he's already used to working within an institution that will probably be challenging and be against some of the things that he does. So it makes him, everything he experienced as a cop made him a perfect uh, middle school teacher, which is kind Mm. of, you know, uh, which is kind of interesting. He's certainly used to dealing with a myriad of different problems. Uh, Those home situations while a lot of them, I think Prez never expected to have to encounter because that was the other thing that was interesting. Even though he had been a cop 
and in narcotics at that. He was encountering some situations with Michael, with Daquan, with Randy, that he, you could tell, he's like, is this shit serious? Like, this is what right. they're actually dealing with? It yeah, was some naivete sure. there. Yeah, like mm-hmm. he had, he didn't imagine, I don't think he ever made the link that what he was dealing with on the street level and with older kids was having that much of an impact on how these younger kids were being raised. And he's seeing how these worlds are connected. And that is what is making him an effective teacher because he understands the condition that they're dealing with. Absolutely. And, you know, kind of that it's, you almost look at present situation as what can happen when somebody is given second and third chances, you know, it, it, if, you know, if you go in there and you hurt somebody, you, you, you know, Prez had people covering for him. Prez is exactly what those kids in the class aren't, right? They don't have anyone to say, hey, they didn't mean it. Hey, he could do that. But Prez has. He's had Valchek. He's had Daniels. He's really been a student. Yeah, he's, he's had, had Lester. He's, yeah. he's, had, he's had Lester. He's really been a student. He's been someone who's been covered for, nurtured, brought along, uh, that everybody uh, else that everybody took care else of. Took- and now, because of that, he is to a point to where he's actually, you know, fit to take care of somebody else. He's seen that people have covered for his mistakes. They've walked him through situations. They've, they've nurtured him. He's been that. And so maybe that makes him even want to give it back a little bit more. Or maybe he understands kind of what has to happen. And it makes him less apt to throw somebody away. We see uh, in his dealings with Randy, he knows what can happen when a kid gets into that system. And so he wants to do his part in terms of making sure that this is not another statistic. And he, you know, he does his best, but things are the way they are. Yeah, even with Daquan, the investment he's making in him, because he sees that Daquan is brilliant. And if not for the environment that he was in, and maybe even at another school, that you'd be looking at, you know, a very a top student, a high achieving student sure. because of the way his mind works and because he's intellectually curious and he wants to nurture those qualities about him. Um, that's why as as uh, much of a a mixed bag that his career as a, a cop was. I mean, when you think about like on, on paper, what's probably in Prez's file. I mean, having permanently injured somebody's eye, you know, shot his own squad car. <laughs> having shot inside of a police station, they they all speak to somebody being reckless and careless and not befitting to be an officer. And dangerous. I, I, yeah, as a, as a danger. And the fact that he murdered a man, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, it's like all of those things normally, I mean, connected together, you would be like, whoever is this person and this is their rap sheet, they're terrible and they don't need to be anywhere near children. And yet the beauty of writing and writing complex and nuanced characters is that, Prez is exactly where he needs to be. You know, he's one of the few characters. Well, not one of the few, but I I think it's just a testament to like how good this show is, is that you're you're not you don't necessarily absolve him from it, but you're really willing to consider the things that he's done that have been bad in context. And you find yourself still very much rooting for him and considering him very much a good guy, despite that he's done some really awful things. Right. It's the difference between, you know, a novel and a comic book. You know, some there are some great graphic novels, obviously, that are in comic book form. But, you know, when you read a comic book, it, it your villains are normally cast in the very specific roles. When you read a novel, 
you know, you start off with one perception of a character and then later on you might have another. The story takes leaps and twists and turns and uh, it exposes things about it that you never saw before and it puts you on to brand new things. And when the case of Prez, Prez very slowly and meticulously, sometimes behind the scenes, has morphed and changed into something uh, completely different than what he was. And it's not supposed to happen. I'm never supposed, I'm never supposed to like a character who at one point blinded a black kid with a bottle for no good reason. I'm never supposed to like that character. No matter how many black kids he's 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 changing now or uh, he's he's getting involved with now. But it's the sincerity. You feel like sincerely Prez Belusky is a different guy than he was then. And you've watched it. And there wasn't any one aha epiphany moment. He didn't go away to rehab or get religion or anything like that. It happened so gradually that it lends uh, credence to it. There's some, it seems real. And you see him acting out on it. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite miraculous. It's very, it's remarkable that this character um, ha has taken the turns that he has. And now I feel almost the safest and, you know, and the best, you know, in a show that's some kind, sometimes a little bit disappointing when Prez Belusky's on the screen. Like, it seems as like it's, he has a calming presence on screen now when it didn't start that way at all. Who do you think made the most significant transformation, him or Carver? Oh, good question. I think it's Prez. I think Carver, at this point, it's Prez. I think Carver still has a little bit more work to go. There's still one more lesson that yeah, Carver's yeah, his going moment to is coming. To, yeah. yeah, there's still yeah, one more lesson that, mm -hmm. that Carver's going to have to learn. But at, at this point right now, it's press. Yeah, because um, to your point about, like, you shouldn't root for somebody who has done some of the things that Prez has done. I was thinking about that in the context of Carver, who was literally a walking civil suit. Yes. <laughs> I mean, him and Herc, you know, that's why I called them police brutality one and two. Like, that's all they did. And for him to go from that guy to wanting to see the kids be involved in, you know, in programs and caring about their well-being. And now even uh, with Randy caring about what happens to him, even though, you know, some of his attempts, um, there's going to be some misfires there, which we'll get to later in, in the season. But I think of of all the transformations that we see on, on The Wire, and it's not that many that are this 180 as Prez Belusky. I think he's probably the one that, has the the best one, you know, from start to finish. When you think about where they were to what they became, you know, it would have to to be him. The only person I can think of that would be competing for this would probably be be Carver, who underwent a similar kind of metamorphosis uh, as well. Um, it, you know, and the thing I, I like that I think Prez is a really good mirror or lens, I should say, more so than a mirror in which to view this educational system is that I think in order for people to understand, to get out of this mentality of it is what it is when it comes to education and, oh, that's just the way shit has to be, is to look through it through somebody who has no experience with it whatsoever. And that brings us to the point where we, you know, we may have been desensitized about this issue before, but through prayers, we're able to still have a lot of moments where we're like, that's fucked up. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You know, and it's because he has such little experience and we're feeling that all the time for him where his empathy 
uh, I think more than anything comes through with this. I mean, I, I think his his genius and his intellect, that was a b- really big hallmark for him when he was on Major Crimes. With this, uh, Prez's empathy is is really, you know, it, the presence of that is almost a character in itself. Right. Like you said, he's our eyes into this. He's the guy that came from somewhere where he thought things were going a certain way. And, you know, and also think about this. Think about the fact that the cops think that these kids are born uh, chomping at the bit, waiting to, to, to jump out of their mother's wombs and go hurt someone. They have no idea the set of circumstances in a lot of, in a lot of situations that turn these youngsters into what they become sometimes. You know, they know, they see it, right? They see what's going on, but they don't live it and they're not tethered to it. So, and they also see everyday people not making those decisions. They see the majority of people not making those decisions. So it becomes very difficult for them to empathize or have any sort of, uh, shit, I don't know, uh, sympathy, I guess you will, or understanding for people who do make them. And now Perez is in a situation where having where he's having to nurture the kids that he policed. He's having to nurture the kids that he was trying to control. And it's just a much, much different situation for him. Much different situation for him. And it's a much different situation for the viewer. Yeah, um, and nurture the kids who, you know, I'm sure, you know, we don't get this necessarily in an overt way, but how could he not think about that kid whose eye he permanently injured within the context of the kids that he's teaching every day. Right. Because right. now he probably understands, you know, more so than anybody, at some point that young man was in somebody's classroom or he has a full life that Prez has no idea where he came from, what his what his family situation is, and he's given him this, this permanent injury just simply because he was in uh, the wrong place and the, at the wrong time. And I don't mean the kid, I mean Prez. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, they brought that to his doorstep, uh, not the other way around. So, you know, definitely, I think that's what makes, you know, him one of the the best characters on The Wire is the fact that we see a full-scale, total evolution in a way that not many characters on this show get to have. All right, we've wrapped up our character deep dive, but before we dive into some of our favorite scenes from this episode and some of the best file this away for later moments, also some trivia, let's hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, man, let's move on to some of the best scenes and best moments here in episode seven. What did you have on your list? You just swallowed something the wrong way, didn't you? <laughs> Why are you going to point this out? <laughs> you just swallowed, like, like Jamel is like, like Jamel, this is so funny. Jamel is, took a drink of something. Yes, and it was for the light, some water. Don't have people water. sitting up here, I'm getting liquored up while I'm doing this. <laughs> Jamel took a drink of something. Jamel took a drink of something. There's some water. She's got a big San Francisco 49ers uh they won a Super Bowl last year. So she's got a big... No, we lost. Comer- I know. You I ain't right. <laughs> you ain't right. Don't she's remind got, me. We should have won. She's got a big San Francisco 49ers, like, drink thing. And she took a drink out of it. And I could tell right away that it, it went down the wrong tube or whatever, that she swallowed it wrong. Because ever since then, she's like, she's talking and she's like, getting Randy and uh, Press Belusky. <laughs> And whatever, and her eyes are watering. I'm like, yo, is she getting like emotional over Prez? Is she getting emotional <laughs> over Prez over there? Like, what's going on? But Man, then it you don't dawned miss shit, on me. It dawned on me that it it you had a little bit of the the wrong kind of I had of a little bit of, of an issue here, but right. me being the professional the pro, I am, I was pro. powering through. I the was powering pro. through. See, that's a multi-level pro. You can tell that's some TV, that's some podcasting. That's you know, y'all, y'all watch stick to sports, man. Jamel gives it to you every single time. <laughs> That's right. I, I can fight through a situation. Uh, but yes, back to what were some of the best scenes and moments for you in episode seven? Omar as a jail gladiator. Love that scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with the uh, with the, the Atlas. The Atlas. He's got the whole yeah. the fucking uh, thing around him right there. Cuddy and Spider. Spider. Spider, hold on now. Why you ain't come past my gym no more? I've been waiting on you for weeks now. What happened between me and your moms ain't got shit to do with you taking advantage of the gym. Now, man, I'm just saying, you one of my best, boy. Hell, if I thought it was gonna hurt you, I wouldn't know. Ain't nobody gonna hurt me. Fuck you. So step up or step off, huh? I got customers backing up. I love that scene between Cutting and Spider because that shows you what the stakes are. Cuddy is dealing in, he is the streets Presbolewski, or Presbolewski is the Cuddy of the classroom, either one. One wrong move, one wrong recommendation, or one thing, and you will lose these kids. And when you lose them, you're not losing them from the football team or the boxing gym. You're losing them in life. Who knows how, how different Spider's life could have been if Cuddy wouldn't have fucked his mom. Yeah. So you have to, you have to. Like I, like we talked about last episode in parenting kids, you have to think about them first, Cuddy. And he learns that the hard way. So Spider is even more hardened. Cuddy represented somebody who Spider could trust. Now, there's nobody that Spider feels like he can trust, so he's going to put his trust in himself. Yeah, and that's what I, I think that um, Cuddy, unfortunately, finds out the hard way is that, you know, these kids are looking for people to, who are consistent. and. Mm-hmm. They haven't had consistent adults in their life. They have, they haven't had people that they can trust. 
And so even though it may seem a little unfair to pin Spider's whole life on Cuddy, it's just one of those things that happen when they're at a fork in the road where they can go one way or the other way. And given how precarious of a situation they're all in, you know, you show them that you're not really about what you said you're about. All that's going to do is reinforce to them that they shouldn't have trusted you in the first place and that being on the streets and not trusting anybody and being into that life is a much easier existence to them than trusting some adult and putting their future or putting faith in that person. So it it definitely, I think this situation helps Cuddy understand that it's not just about you teaching them how to box, especially if you're coming at them saying that you want to teach them more about life. Like this yeah. is a, this is a deeper commitment and these kids are going to have expectations of you and you have to decide, do you have it in you to live up to them, uh, to live up to what those expectations are? That doesn't say mean that you have to be perfect, but what you can't be is another adult coming into their life just trying to get what you want, and that's it. Right, exactly. Well said. Bunk and Omar, always great oh, scenes from those that scene, guys. Yeah, it was, that, I think that's the best scene in this whole episode. The boys working the case ain't really in the mood to listen. As you can see, I still got the lady lawyer marker. If I recall, as far as Eileen Nathan goes, she promised get out of jail free on a small felony or two. Come on now, when you ever know me to put my gun on anybody that wasn't in the game? Oh, my. I'd have known I was going to be sharing coders with all these boys. I probably wouldn't have robbed so many of them. Oh, yeah. That golden rule. Since you feeling all biblical and righteous and all, you think on this. Now, if Omar ain't killed that delivery lady, somebody else did. But you're giving them a free walk right now, though, ain't you? I think the last time that we saw them together was when Bunk came at him about when his girl wound up being killed as they were trying to, uh, again, take on the Barksdales. You know, when, when Omar was on his vendetta and he was at him then saying, like, you might be in your mind, you might be in, a, in this little war with the Barksdale, but you're costing people their life, okay? Right. And it got Omar, that was that whole come to Jesus talk, got Omar to whole, totally flip his whole shit and be like, yeah. I got to be in this myself mm -hmm. because I don't want to have another situation where somebody in my crew winds up, you know, being killed because I have decided that I'm single-handedly focused or singularly focused on, on somebody. that He didn't want them to be caught up in this shit. But I thought in this scene, Omar did a great job. He flipped that shit right back on Buck. Right back on Buck. Right, yeah. And called out his hypocrisy and said, hey, you're so uh, upset at me still for what I do out here in these streets, but you are willing to make me pay for a crime I didn't commit and letting a real killer walk away free just so you can have a sense of being right. That, right. That shit ain't, that shit ain't right. Not, that ain't G, dog. No. Right, great. Naaman's fight with Sherrod. You coming around the way tomorrow? I think she stay off that spot. Bitch, I'm talking to you! Man, fuck you! Fuck! Sherrod <laughs> two-pieced him, like, fast. Sherrod two-pieced him. Sherrod was, two, he was tooting something else right before. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, a little performance-enhancing drug. Yep, it's the, the whole deal. When Carcetti falls in love with Daniels, that's a father away for the father's away for later moment. But Big it's one. still a good scene, but I'm gonna come back to that in father's away for later. And then the polygraph scene is one of my favorite scenes in Wire history. Okay, to begin, please answer yes to a series of questions, regardless of whether or not that answer is correct. Is your name Anthony Wardell? Yeah. And you're from Baltimore, Maryland? Right now, I'm over the city jail, but I'm from east side. So your answer is? Yeah, I'm from Baltimore. 
Are you female? The fuck is wrong with... My bad. Yeah, I'm a bitch. <laughs> it's just You're so right. funny to me. The polygraph scene is one of my favorite scenes in Wire history. Then you got a couple of other ones I like, Herc and Randy, and then Prop Joe schooling Marlo on the camera. Also, a gigantic father's away for a later moment. Yeah, I forgot to mention when we were discussing the Omar and Bunk scene is how Omar uttered one of my favorite um, phrases that he says. A man got to have a code. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, he, he hit him with that for sure. Other scenes and moments that I loved about this uh, episode was when Ronnie gets an unexpected promotion from the new attorney general, uh, Rupert Bond. And uh, she, I'm glad she said it under her breath because she owes Lester a big apology. You know, because he was the one that told her he's he he's basically trying to get her out of this mindset of being overly loyal and dedicated to institutions over the work. And the the one thing about this episode that's interesting compared to most of them is that in this episode, you actually see a lot of people who um, they're and maybe bravery isn't the right word, but then being willing to do something difficult pay off because usually that shit doesn't pay off. Right. And in Ronnie's case, she was so caught up in trying to play politics. She didn't want to do the work. And Lester was right. like, why do you care? Like, right. it doesn't matter either way. And she winds up being rewarded for it. And somebody actually looked at her actions as being brave and courageous. And yeah, I mean, she owes Lester big time because he was the one that told her that really schooled her or learned her on some things. And so, that was a nice way to kind of pay off, I think, you know, their particular tension about what what was the right thing, um, you know, to do. I thought Prez, all the headway, uh, we didn't talk about some of, uh, we talked about him as a character, but um, him teaching the kids about probability and odds through shooting dice was... Love that. Love that. Yeah, that was, uh, those are some nice moments um, in there. Because, you know, I mean, me in middle school, like, shooting dice is like, you know... Is Middle that, school, high school. Y'all shot dice? We shot dice. Yeah. yeah, we shot dice in high school mostly, though. We we also played Get Like Me. Did you have Get Like Me? What is Get Like Me? Get Like Me is where I flip a coin, and then you flip a coin. If you flip heads, it's my coin. If you flip tails, it's you, uh, you win yours. Like, ah, that's what we play. Okay. Right, so it would be like, boom, like, like a quarter, bang. It just, and it goes fast. Therefore, you're just playing like half odds. It goes fast. Boom. Cool. I, I, I flip a coin. Bang. Tails. Boom. And it goes fast. You can lose quick or you can get up quick. Mm, okay. I never, yeah. That must be some Baton Rouge, Louisiana, down or, south shit. Or, or Tonk. Did you guys ever yeah, play Tonk? Yeah, oh, hell yeah. We played Tonk. Tonk for a dollar. I used to be <laughs> ripping them in Tonk. I don't even think I remember how to play anymore. Oh, dude. Come on. You know. I don't think I remember how to play no more. I, I really, I was trying to think about it. I don't think it's been so... I haven't played Tonk in 20 years. Damn, like, man. Like, I mean, like 25? Because I haven't played since high school. I have not played Tonk since high school. So I don't think I remember how to play Tonk. Me and my husband play Tonk all the time. Because um, we, when it comes to car games, we're pretty competitive. Tonk and Uno get major run up in my house. Yeah, Uno is... Uh, Uno I had to retire from. <laughs> is that a van like the si sidebar? Nah, not really. But I'll punch you in your mouth over some Uno. <laughs> like, it, it, like, did you re did you retire so you could better control yourself? <laughs> no, I, look, look. I, I, I like. I got a. I have a friend, a dear friend of mine, who I go on vacation with. And during these vacations, we have Uno. We used to play Uno. 
right? And everybody has different places that they go and everybody has different rules. And I guess with Uno now, there's blank cards and you can write whatever you want on those cards. For real? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. And so there's one thing that they wrote on there and it's called Switch Hands. Have you seen the Switch Hands thing? I have not. So imagine you really busting somebody's ass in Uno, right? And then you get hit with a switch hands card. And now your hand is their hand. Right. And their hand is your hand. It's not worth it. That type of stress on vacation or that kind of stress in life, Uno is not worth it. Uno, like, like Uno is fun and it's fast paced and cool, but Uno makes my nerves bad. Like I don't want to play Uno no more. Like Uno is not worth it no more. Uno was fun when you didn't have any other stress in life. When your only when your only stress in life was whether or not Southern and LSU won, that's cool. I'm not gonna be going through contract negotiations and playing Uno at the same time. So some kid can come along and then make you look stupid in the Uno game, or somebody else you playing with all the you playing with all the ladies, Kalika and all her friends and stuff like that, and you getting your head wrung in Uno, and you and you saying shit like, "All right, let's go play some basketball. How about that?" You know what I'm saying? All right, cool. Nah, nah, nah. You got that. Nah, let's go play some basketball right now. Let me let me put you in the post. Let me hit you with a baby hook. Do you like Shaq did Chris Dudley? Let's go play some basketball. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, and it's too much. And then you you mess it. And then you leave. And then the whole thing happens. So I, Uno makes my nerves bad. I'm too competitive for Uno. I'm too competitive for Uno in these modern day times. I won't play Uno no more. No more Uno. No. <laughs> the switch your hands shit. I, that's how a lot of fights might get started. I could definitely yeah. see that. I could definitely see that shit. Hit you with the switch hands card and then laugh at you. Because remember, they're a kid. Right. And so they're lovely, beautiful, smart children. All of them. But like, they're a kid. They hit you with the switch hands card. And then you like, damn. And you can't beat them. They're smarter than you at Uno. They better. And it's weird because you're thinking, how could this be? You know, but anyway. So Uno, Uno got left in Angola. <laughs> Wow, that that's very adult to you. I I'm still out here competing in these Uno streets, and yeah. I I don't know. I like where my game is now, so I I doubt somebody, some young person, can come along and beat my ass in some Uno. I just have to fight them afterwards if that's the case. So it just is what it is, man. Okay, so those are all some of the best scenes and moments that we love from episode seven. Now let's talk about what age the best, man. What age the best for you? All right, so one of the names of the packages, the brothers were very, very, very. Evolved. Okay. I heard, I heard them selling a package called Brokeback. What? Yeah, I, I missed that. I we missed got that. that. We got that Brokeback. We got okay. that. That is that age the best. That is very evolved of the brothers out there on the street to name that package Brokeback. You know, now, I, I, I saw that. I, I have to say, I'm wondering how. I, that's a, it's an odd name in the sense that usually the the package names sort of make sense. Like one is called Pandemic. Right, mm-hmm. so that yeah. kind of make you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a positive connotation. It's like we got that pandemic. Like that sounds like kind of like oh shit, that pandemic. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. Um, or one was called WMD, weapons of mass destruction. Makes sense, right? Like right. oh, right. we got that WMD. I, I don't, you know, broke back is a love story. So I'm just it's supposed to have sound a little s- more hardcore, is what I'm saying. Have you seen Brokeback Mountain? Yeah, it, yeah. it's a love story. It's a love story, but there are scenes where, you know. Oh, well, I mean, I know what happens. Yes. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yes, it is literal in many respects, right? Yeah, he he licked his hand. 
You know what I mean? And so, so I, I don't know what to tell you. I, by the way, now this is a Van Lathan sidebar. Okay. So I read the short story, Brokeback Mountain. Oh, okay. okay. I read the short story. It's in a book, a collection of short stories. Okay. I did not and realize so it was based off a short story. Okay. It was. I read mm-hmm. the short story, Brokeback Mountain. So I went to see Brokeback Mountain in Baton Rouge by myself in theaters. Okay. So I'll never forget this. I just wanted to see the movie and there was so much being made of it, right? It was such a big deal. The fact that the movie was such a big deal inspired me to read the short story. And a guy named John Vaughn, who I was working on set with at that time, brought the book for me and I, or, or told me what the short stories that I didn't. I, went to, I think I went to Books A Million to get it. So I went to Books A Million, I got it, and I read it. Boom, beautiful writing. I can't remember the, one, the lady's name that wrote it, but it was written by a lady. Uh, I can't remember her name right now, but I, I read Broback Mountain. And so when the movie came out, I wanted to go see it, okay? It's going to be a big deal, big player during Oscar mm-hmm. time, so I wanted to go see the movie. So this was an online ticket-buying time. That wasn't the thing. So you had to go up to the window or you go up the, to the window the counter. and you, buy, you go up to the counter and you buy your ticket. Like, you know, whatever. And I remember I went up there and I went, actually, I went by myself and then I went with, a couple of friends of mine. I saw it twice in theaters. Uh, so I went up there and I was like, one for Brokeback Mountain, please. And the girl behind the counter went, mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew you were going to say this. And I, I, I knew was, it. I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. And she was like, um, uh, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, here you go. He's getting... He's going to see Brokeback Mountain, guys. And I was like... <laughs> the equivalent of uh, of a price check on condoms when you're in the store. <laughs> exactly. So I get the thing. I'm in front of the thing. This is at City Place. City Place Theaters, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, right off the interstate. You know, it was right down from Damon's Macaroni Grill and all of that stuff like that, whatever. So I go in there. And then so you get your ticket. It gives you a ticket. And then you got to walk in. And you got to show your ticket to somebody, Right. And it was my man, Stefan, from high school who worked there. Shout out to Stefan, all right? Stefan from high school, I think he was the manager at City Place. I give Stefan my ticket. Say, oh, Van, okay. A Brokeback Mountain, wow. That's a great movie. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, yeah. He was like, and I don't know what he was trying to say to me. Because by the way, I was 25 at this point. So this was about the time in your life that, the guys that you went to high school with and people around to where people's lifestyles, they were spart- starting to access themselves, right? You started to hear, right. hey, this home, this is one of your friends has just come out and blah, 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 blah. Right. So it's just, and and, and I, I give the ticket to him and he's like, he goes, just to let you know, because remember, this is Baton Rouge. There's nobody else in there right now. So it's okay. He wanted to let you know it was a safe place, man. It was, yeah, yeah, I'm like, bro, can I just go see the movie? So yeah, 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 yeah. You want a popcorn? I don't want no fucking popcorn. <laughs> Take the fucking shit and let me go in there and see the movie. I went in there, saw Broback Mountain. It was a beautiful, incredibly well-made love story. It was. It was really good. It was a beautifully, incredibly well-made love story. I saw the movie. It was fucking fantastic. I almost I really shed a thug tear at the end, man. Now it was. It was. It, it was. It was tough. He had the little. Uh, the little. He had his shirt and then a picture of him. Yeah. Never forgot about him, you know? Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I went in there. And then, you know, I was thinking to myself, that was the first moment to where I was like, hey, fuck it. 
Like, you know where I'm at. I know who I am. I know where I'm at. I, I, I was going to give Broke you a lot, of, a lot of credit. At 25 years old, and I don't want to stereotype all men, and certainly not all Black men, but at 25 years old, to to have that measure of security and, and uh, you know, and just understanding who you are, to do that, that was pretty big, you know, because, like, now, I can't say I knew 20, many 25-year-olds at your age that would have done that. Now, I will say this. While I was inside of Brobag Mountain, there were times when the movie shocked the shit out of me. <laughs> and like, it, 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 right. I mean, just to be real with you, there were times where I was like, whoa, okay. Yeah, it gets, hmm. it gets graphic. It gets, it gets a little graphic. Uh, yeah, all right, I'm yeah. here. You know, which yeah. it shouldn't have been because I had seen Oz before, but yeah, it was that's, different. But that's but, different, but, yeah. So different yeah, context. Different, different context. Different context. Different context. Yeah. Anyway, shout out Brokeback Mountain. Shout out Brokeback the Package. A package <laughs> called a package Brokeback. Brokeback. Yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah from, that, from the way you explained it, mm-hmm. I sort of could get the name now. Um, all right, anything else you have for What Age the Best? Uh, No, no. Nothing that I had that aged the best. Um, no, 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 nothing else. Oh, no, excuse me. I'm sorry. There's something else that aged the best. Uh, Popeye's. Oh, Made me hungry. Popeye's He's, is eternal. He said, oh, by the way, I found the best Popeye's in America. Oh, it, it, wait. First of all, it's not in Louisiana because that's where the best Popeye's I've ever been to. Okay, so, but outside of Louisiana. Okay. The best Popeye's, the best Popeye's, the, in, in terms of the best Popeye's, Popeye's on Canal in, uh, in New Orleans is probably number one. And then the Popeyes... Because that's, that's, that's what they call Super Popeyes, right? Right. And then, yeah, yeah the mm-hmm. canal is number one. And then the Popeyes in Baton Rouge is actually connected to a gas station. It's <laughs> right off Burbank. Over there in Baton Rouge is a, my second favorite Popeyes. But the best Popeyes I've had outside of Louisiana is actually, it's actually, okay, it's in Yucca Valley. I was in Yucca Valley for a weekend. Yeah, I was in Yucca Valley for a weekend a couple of weekends ago. And I went to Popeye's there in Yucca Valley. Shout out to the homies who went to Popeye's there in Yucca Valley. And like right before you get to Joshua Tree, Popeye's right there on the main little road. Fire. What? Fire. What'd you have though? What'd you have? Oh, it was a bunch of people. So I got like, 10, 15, 16 pieces. No, no, of chicken. I'm saying, what did you? Oh, you said it was a bucket. Like, y'all was, gotta... yeah, a bunch of people, a bunch of people. So, like, we like yeah, we all sit around, you know, and ate a bucket, ate some chicken and stuff like that. But Popeyes in Yucca Valley, dope, amazing. I don't know why. I don't know why. And by the way, I pulled my Popeyes move. This is another Popeyes move that you guys have, just real quick. Order your Popeyes. Okay. Order your Popeyes. Order everything that you want. Then when you get to the window, okay. Tell them, oh, my bad. Can you all add a large red beans and rice to that? My bad. They will give you that red beans and rice more times than not. They don't feel like re-ringing everything and getting everything back down. More times than not, they will give you that red beans and rice or whatever you want, especially if it's biscuits. Oh, my man, man. Can I get some extra biscuits, bro? I forgot going there. They're not going to go through all of that again to charge you $1.50 for some extra biscuits. They're going to give you those biscuits. Get the free shit. It's America. (laughs) A little advice uh, from Van uh, to make your Popeye's experience that much more enjoyable. I receive Mm -hmm. it uh, for sure. And of course, I couldn't help but wonder as I saw Randy eating the Popeye's in the interrogation room uh, with Herc, I hope the child got spicy. I really do. I like uh, to think Randy got spicy, right? Because I remember being a kid, and I, you know, I, I would get the mild. 
I don't know what was wrong with me. But then as I matured, as my taste buds matured, oh, I see a look on your face. You better not be ordering mild out here, Van. I know you ain't out here ordering mild. It's only mild for me. It's I want to call mild. you know I want to call you the N word so bad right now. I really do. It's, it's only <laughs> I really do. It's only mild for me, man. Van, tell me this is associated with some kind of condition. It's there's no condition. I just say to me, you know, it's it's got to be mild. It's only mild. Like I like the taste of the chicken. I don't like. I'll be honest what? with you. I don't. I don't like spicy shit like that. I don't. But this is different. This is Popeyes. Like there's only one right answer. It has to be spicy. I mean, Van, you are a disgrace. I got a lot of times. A lot of times, people say stuff like that, and I feel like it's limiting. It's like it's spicy. There's mild. I like mild. I like mild. I like like mild. mild. I like mild. I'm a mild ass nigga. (laughs) (laughs) I like mild. I like mild. That's just this is fucking wrong. And you from wait? You mild and you from Louisiana? That's what makes that so bad. You know, people act like down in Louisiana, we like a whole bunch of hot ass shit. That's not true. Because y'all do. No, that's not true at all. Y'all basically like everything north shot, you know, like anything that pretty much renders your asshole on fire. That's what y'all like. I, I don't think that. I mean, not not for me. Like, I like I don't like my jambalaya super flaming hot. I don't like flaming hot gumbo. I don't like etouffee. With, nah, we have. You know, we got we got Tabasco sauce, but even the Louisiana hot sauce is not super hot. It's just flavorful. We like flavorful food. It's not necessarily all of them crazy spices. You know what I mean? But anyway, uh, you you yeah. probably fuck with pumpkin spice too, don't you? you don't like do. it. Don't like it. I was about to say, is there is there some hope for you? Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, mild, mild. Oh my god! All right, in terms for me, what aged the best? Shitting where you eat and it blowing up in your face. That definitely ages. That definitely ages well. It, it unfortunately, as I watched uh, Cuddy uh, in his apology tour with the kids, it reminded me of a situation that I had <laughs> when I was uh, in my twenties, where I made the mistake of shitting where I eat. Um, not necessarily at, at work, but I made the mistake of having a relationship. I wouldn't call it a relationship, y'all. It, it wasn't that. I had a a situation. I had an entanglement. Mm-hmm. With um, my neighbor, my the neighbor who lived across the hall from me in my apartment. Terrible a, idea! Oh God, that was a bad idea. Bad idea. Terrible idea because you might as well be married. Like it's like it's like a terrible idea. It's like the worst thing you can do. Yeah, and and wait, and the thing is, it it's not. It, I mean, this is probably equally disastrous. It would have been better if I would have been able to, you know. Um, if there was like a commitment type situation where like, okay, this is going to be my man, you know, whatever. I'm not saying it wouldn't have ended in a flaming disaster, but at least, you know, but because I was like, I need to keep shit a little footloose and fancy free. I do not want a commitment. It just led to all sorts of issues. And that person is right across the hall. So that just, Van gave you the advice of ordering extra biscuits or whatever it is you want when you go to the Popeye's window. My advice is, don't have sex with your neighbors. Don't have sex with your neighbors. Don't do it. Does not work out the way you might think that it will. Chitting where you eat and it blowing up in your face definitely age the best. Also, winning arguments by just saying the word fuck you. Yeah. That ages really well. Yeah. Crutchfield and Buck going back and forth. And what I love about when you just have an argument that just says fuck you is that whoever says the word fuck you with the most emphasis wins. Fuck mm-hmm. you. No, fuck, fuck you. Fuck you. Right. 
it's like you win. Whoever says it the most demonstrative, you win. I, 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 my boy Gino beat me in an argument like that one time. I said, fuck you. And then he goes, well, nigga, if it's fuck me, it's fuck you. And it was so, he said it with such charm. He mm. said, if it's fuck me, it's fuck you. That I was like, damn. And then I broke character and laughed and then blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but I lost, yeah. You lost that one. Uh, yeah. All right. Now on to what age the worst. Anything for you, Van? Nah, I couldn't find anything in this episode. I really, I really couldn't, honestly. I couldn't find anything in this episode. To me, what age is the worst, especially given the state of world affairs, is peaceful transition of power. That what oh, a concept. Wow. That, oh, that, that didn't age particularly well. Great. And they did it, and they were so chummy about it. <laughs> they were, weren't they? It was just yeah. like, hey, remember that time I had that fake flyer about you and the slumlord Carcetti? Ah, yeah. those are just jokes, man. Right, right. Yeah, they, not they, a whole they, witness they, shit. My bad for pinning that on you. They were so chummy about it. Yeah, you missed those days a little bit. You missed yeah. those days, but. Come sit in my chair, Carcetti. Come sit in my chair. Get, yeah. Know what it feels like. Also, something that aged poorly. When the kids were in Prez's classroom and they're shooting dice, one of Randy's female classmates calls him a black-ass something. And he looked at her and he was like, look who's talking. And she's dark-skinned. Colorism right. did not age well. Nah, you canceled off Twitter. <laughs> That's right. Randy engaged in some colorism there. Um, very poor on his behalf. All right, now we're at the point where we got uh, we got to look at some file this away for later's. Uh, what were some of the ones you noticed? Uh, when Carcetti fell in love with Daniels. Yes, that's a huge one. That's a gigantic, gigantic file this away for later moment right there. That's the biggest one of the episode for me, so it's the only one that I have. Well, yeah, I, I think that probably is the biggest one. I mean, I put right underneath that one, Carver's decision to bring Herc into Randy's situation. That's a big one, too. That That's a pretty big one. Bub's continuing <laughs> to be bullied and harassed. This is this becomes a life-changing situation for him um, mm -hmm. in many regards. Uh, so uh, keep everybody should keep an eye on that. Now, in terms of trivia for this show, if you noticed in the show open... Um, Omar was reading a book called Ghetto Heat, which is a real book. And it is written by an author named Hickson. One of the directors read the book, thought it was significant uh, to this scene. And that's why he wanted Omar holding it. It's a book of very moving, thoughtful, um, edgy poetry. And thought people might want to understand where that came from. It wasn't just random. It was purposely selected. And I read the... Uh, a uh, online post that the author had, it, and he was quite happy when the guys from The Wire called him and said they were going to use his book. And as he put it, if you want to ask me how many copies that I sold after that appears, let's just say that I'm pretty happy about it. Smiley face. So oh, shout, out, shout, shout out to Hickson with Ghetto Heat. Uh, all right, now we're on to the moment of truth. Van, who won this episode? Um, Bubbles. Mm. I got Bubbles winning this episode. Uh, you know, there's one scene in this episode, I think it is, that we that we uh we didn't talk about where Bubbles gets robbed by Walker in this episode. Um and and to me, the more I watch this particular one, um, Bubbles in this episode is lonely. He he comes back to an empty home, he's chasing after Sherrod, he can't get around, he can't get up with Sherrod. Bubbles doesn't Bubbles has that need, like what we talked about before, to nurture and to to have that like Robin to his Batman type of situation. But it's because Bubbles lost. Bubbles has lost so much. He doesn't want to go through this all alone. 
And, and if we, we think about it, like in the largest, Bubbles' largest story, I mean, you know, Johnny was not just somebody that he ran capers with. Johnny was somebody who was a friend, almost like family, because they were in the same condition. So to your point, Bubbles is kind of used to having that sidekick relationship that's there. Even with Kima, same thing, right. Kima McNulty, right? Right. And Bubbles more by than by himself is, is, is isolated. He's by himself. He's alone. He's alone out there on the streets. Nobody to protect him. Nobody to watch his back. Nobody to be down with him. Any of those things. So, yeah, it's hard for him right now. And just that was, to me, the most moving, most sort of uh, affecting part of this uh, of this particular episode. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was pretty major. Um, and it, in a way, it's it's heartbreaking to kind of watch because Bubbles knows the road that Sherrod is headed down, and he's doing everything in his power, despite his somewhat low station in life. Uh, he's doing everything in his power to to try to prevent him from being the next Bubbles, uh, which yeah. I think is really, really significant. All right, for me, the winner of this episode is actually Cuddy because even though Cuddy has disappointed these young men with his behavior, his inappropriate behavior with their mothers, um, I, I think that there is also, it says a lot about his personal growth, the fact that this wasn't a situation he hid from. And he, for him to make that awkward apology to um, all of the young men and apologize for him, you know, kind of taking advantage of the situation, I thought was was real big of him to do because he could have continued his behavior. You know, I know Spider left, but I don't know how much that would have influenced the other kids from leaving. But that's one of those things that, you know, I, I don't know if somebody would have been sensitive enough to understand, or most people, most men especially, would have been sensitive enough to realize that they owed these kids an apology for their own behavior and to try to be, you know, kind of a, a, a better role model. So, sure. um, yeah. yeah, in terms of him being a role model, I thought that was like a really significant step. The fact that he owned his own shit and owned his own part of it. Uh, anyway. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. We'll be back. Episode eight. We're more than halfway through season four now. So we're kind of getting in that stage of where we're on the back nine, as they say, of this particular season. So as always, keep watching The Wire and keep listening to us. We'll see y'all next time.